Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening. You're listening to Universal Treats with Mark Voltz here on WBHM Digital Broadcasting out of Birmingham, Alabama. Welcome to Universal Truths with Mark Fultz, also known as the Fat Psychic, coming to you from WBHM TV in beautiful downtown Birmingham, Alabama, and talking to you from my cute little tiny haunted house near Pensacola, Florida. And for all of y'all that are just starting to uh, tune in, if you don't know who I am, I am a psychic who's been working in the metaphysical field uh, 43 years. I'm 61 years old, and and uh, I like to tell ghost stories. I'm an author. I'm uh, creating an album of music, metaphysical songs. Uh, I uh, have my own little store, The Gypsy Moon, and and I have some old shows on YouTube, and I have some online and things like that. And then I'm getting ready to do a cooking show coming up here pretty soon. And one of my favorite things to do is to tell a ghost story. And I love to research and find ghost stories. I love to investigate and find the ghost stories myself. And uh, I enjoy a good ghost story. My grandmother, um, my granny, my mother's mother, uh, Granny Swearingen, she was psychic and she had great stories. So I got hooked on them. And of course, uh, I'm just a little weirdo. I've always, I, if all year was Halloween, I would be just fine because I love fall. I love, I love summer and spring, but I do love fall. And I'm kind of like a cat. I, I kind of uh, like that crispness in the air, the crisp air, the crisp leaves, the 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 feeling of the veil getting thin, and and uh, the 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 you know when the veil's the thinnest two years times of the year, then the spirits can talk to us and show to us. So. We're at uh, really the second time of the year when the veil is in, which is November 1st. And that kind of closes up because the veil is made out of electromagnetic plasma. And the time that you really get more ghost interaction is May 1st because the electromagnetic plasma is thinner and more like melted jello. You know, it just, it's fluid and and the veil stretches because the energy electromagnetic fields coming out of the poles 
uh, stretches and the material kind of separates. And when it does, uh, then we hear spirit stuff, see spirit stuff. And then when it begins to get cooler, the plasma, part of the electromagnetic plasma, begins to thicken up and it closes. And so after November 1st, it starts to shut down. The spirits begin to hibernate a little bit because uh, since they, their containers are made out of electromagnetic plasma, uh, they begin to thicken up and they don't have as much energy to manipulate and talk and everything during the coldness, uh, unless, of course, they've gotten into a place where they understand, you know, they can pull off energy and and uh, become more fluid. Uh, so this is the time of year they try to get in their activity before the cold sets in. And um, back in Chattanooga, where I came from, I'm in Pensacola, of course, now, but when I was young, uh, in the fall, back in the days when you could, now you really can't. But I, I'm a friend back in the, when I was in my 20s, we'd sneak around to some of the, the, the cemeteries, you know, that were really haunted. And one time I remember going in the cemetery in Chattanooga, um, and you would see, it was, it was still warm during the day and cool at night, and you would see these puffs of smoke, which were the spirits, that were that that are not all spirits are doing this, but of just a few amount. But some of them that had decided to stay with the body, uh, they would be coming out of the ground to absorb the thermal heat of the day or whatever the energy was. And if you got close to them, they would kind of close and go back into the grave. And if you backed up and waited, they would come out and and um, continue to try and absorb the last of the thermal heat before they went into hibernation. So this is the time, you know, we that's why we internally feel it. We know that the veil is getting thin. It's been thin and now it's starting to thicken up. So we know that there there's like a feeling of of something happening that we need to be a part of. And then as it shuts down after um, November 1st or thickens up, then we begin to do other things to lighten up the dark part of winter so that we don't go uh, cabin crazy or stir crazy. So at this time, especially for metaphysical people, this is our time to feel sensitive towards the spirits and and uh, at my Halloween time, I basically will um, do, we believe at that time that that's uh, to celebrate and, and send on the people who have passed during the year. So I put out food for those to include them in my meal at my dinner to my gathering I put out food and and then after it then I give that to nature but I feel like you know the spirits like to know that they're thought of and they're released and it's okay for them to go on and uh, so I well in the old days they would leave a plate for the person who passed that year 
And so I still kind of do that, but I leave a little plate of things and goodies, and then I take that out and give that to the uh, little animal, you know. So um, that's part of my giving back to, you know, the way that the old people would work with spirits, which is uh, they're not something that's separate from us. They're part of us. They are the the engine in us you know as far as like uh, a force and they're all around us and when we die they're you know they go and do their thing but they still are a part of us they're they're you know the person that was uh was something you'll never forget you know or or hopefully you never forget them or you want to be around them and so it's always good to when someone passes that october uh, give them a going away celebration because uh, that way uh, they know that you're okay. Let them go and, and uh, you know, uh, let it be, you know, that you're happy with them and hope that they're transition as well. But that doesn't sound scary to people. So tonight I'm going to be talking about some of my favorite women ghosts. I've always enjoyed stories of women spirits and hauntings and and um I don't know why it's creepier scarier you know I love women uh but it's it's uh, some of the most uh, terrifying things I've experienced have been with female spirits or strong female spirits uh that um the I've seen some pretty dang scary male ones too, so don't think I'm taken away from them either. At some point, I will do a story of just male ghosts, but uh, but the female ghosts are really something that uh, I have a, uh, an affinity for, and I think in culture we do as well. And uh, in culture, mostly too you know it's like in the ancient days and the older days and the victorian days um the witches were women the ghosts were women you know the you know there's something very mystical about women to where they get attacked they are given uh prominence in these um ideas and uh, in in before in my grandmother's day, you know, spiritualism, uh, it really was considered a woman's game. So the women would do table tipping and seancing and everything and talk to the spirits. They really didn't. They because it was part of like an early feminist movement, almost. And um, so they were associated with. Uh, the ghosting and the talking, even though there were men that could do that, it was uh, 90% of it was female driven. And uh, so if you look back at spiritualist things, you see more women mentioned, but even though men were there, uh, say like if I had been living that time, I would have been a spiritualist uh, based on how I am now, uh, because I talk to spirits and do investigations and uh, so at that time, I would have been a male, but uh, there was a thing of, you know, uh, understanding that the women felt like men were treading upon their territory. So you could be that and do that, 
but it was really more about the woman. And when you hear stories, when I talk in here about ghost stories of, associated with women that were considered witches, you know, we have to understand from the modern perspective that witches, uh, the concept, the modern concept of a witch is not the ancient type of witch. Uh, the ancient concept we have of witches, it comes through the Christians and the Catholics because uh, they demonized uh, the women because uh, they didn't want women to have any power. They had to be docile and submissive, and 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 uh, witches were considered uh, earthy people who did their own thing, had their own mind, and uh, were healers. And and uh, when people were looking for a culprit in society, someone who had to pay for something they were upset over, they would choose a harmless person, which would usually be, you know, an older woman, an elderly person, uh, someone they didn't like, um, someone who was bossy, you know, or independent. And uh, that went for uh, also when medicine was coming in differently. The men were not doctors necessarily up until the Middle Ages. Women were. And women were the ones you went to and you would get your tincture, you would get your herbs, you would get your teas. And they would suggest, you know, food and, and rest and things that we would do now. And they were the midwives and they helped with the babies and stuff. So when the men wanted to take prominence, they just called all of these women that were healers and doctor, basically doctors. They called them witches. And when they did that, they were able, if you were doing oils or trying to help people by knowing how to heal or how to tend to the sick, something very sweet and innocent and, and needed, uh, you could get killed because the men would go, well, they're a witch, let's burn them. And if you were accused of being a witch, uh, you know, the things that they would do, like, Let's throw the witch into the water. Well, if they threw you into, if they tied your feet and, or tied you into a bag, threw you in the water, and you sank and drowned, you were innocent. But if you floated, you were guilty, and they killed you anyway. You could once you were identified as a witch, you were doomed for the most part. There's a few cases where people got out of it, but to be even looked at in that way could end your life. And so when we sit here and tell stories of ghosts and witches and things, we don't really think of the heavy nature of it because it was um, for someone to look at someone and say, you're a witch, you could be tortured, you could be banished, you could be murdered. And there was worse things than being murdered because they would do things to you that were hideous. And before they killed you. 
And so when I have stories of witches and, and accusations of witches, I don't take it lightly uh, because it is something in the past that – and these people were healers and earth people. They weren't the devil-worshipping things. That was something that was created through other religions who were threatened by the women. And this is coming from my understanding and my – research and my beliefs. So, uh, but they, the woman was a, the, the women that were a threat. This is the way you took care of the threat. And it's like the Salem witch trials. The women and the men that were accused were not witches. They were innocent people. They were people that were targeted for whatever reason by these children and by the adults, uh, and they just so happened to confiscate anyone's property. So they also went after people who had good money and good things like that and powerful. And then they also went after the people who were helpless. And what would you do if you stood up to say, well, my mother's not a witch, they'd say, well, they're a witch. And then they, you would get done, you know, so you would get killed or pulled into it. So people joined in or stood back and watched. You know, they didn't know what else to do until people got their senses together. So when I talk about any of this that says, uh, you know, the stories of people being witches and, and the dark stories, uh, those a lot of times are stories told by people who wanted to persecute others. And if something went wrong in your village, uh, you know, even if the milk soured or the cows got to where they can do or the chickens wouldn't lay or the the storm run the corn, they would say someone – they would look for someone who was unusual or odd and say they must be a witch. They're responsible. And that person would get it. And if you don't think that, now there's a, a very sweet lady uh, who works at the um, FE, who works at the uh, place where I have my store. She has a, a store there as well. And she told me in Germany that they, in her town she came from, there's a witch tower. And they didn't realize what the witch tower was for. And it's actually very modern looking, very tall, very, you know, it's medieval-ish, but it actually, in a way, it's 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 something you wouldn't expect. And she said um, that people that had red hair were considered witches. And so the red-headed people would be taken to the, this tower, tied to a bench. People would spit on them, throw food at them, whatever. And then they would be taken up and hung and burned or just burned, you know. And in towns and things like that, um, there, you know, there were complete towns. They would go through just to get rid of the midwives and, and the strong women and the, the healers. Sometimes, or just because they were angry at something else, they'd say, that town is full of witches. And they would go in, kill a huge amount of women, have their children watch, and then, um, Say what you know. Watch this so that you don't become like your mother, and would watch them do that. 
So it's a very serious thing. So it so when I recount this stories of the idea of someone being a witch, it's normally not a true story. It can be a legend. Now there are witches through centuries and there are modern witches. But the ancient witches were no more basically than they are now. They just followed the earth and understood how to use herbs and understood how to work with the energy. And uh, it's only when religion came in that it became a threat. And people came here to get religious freedom, and then they came here, but then they would persecute others that were not like them. And really, the persecution of somebody as a witch would be because you just were different or had an opinion that was different than theirs, or you were disabled or disfigured or, or even had a birthmark. So um, we have to go to a break. But when we come back, I'm going to begin my stories of women ghosts and all of you out there in the dark. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Warning, the following message does not necessarily reflect the views of WBHMDB or its hosts, guests, listeners, or of any functioning adult in general. In fact, Frank should probably seek professional help. Listener discretion is advised. Hi there, Frank Lee here. I thought that I would spend a few moments telling you about the positivity from the network here. Uh, the overall message of para-unity and happiness and how everyone here wants to get along with everyone out there and how everything is just wonderful. Wait, cat's not looking. Uh, okay, I've got something to really tell you. Okay, so I'm going to tell you what's really going on. Honestly, all that being nice and positive crap is kind of hurting my soul, as dark as it is. So, what's really happening? When you see it all the time, Everybody and their brother out there has a paranormal team because they watch a couple of episodes of Ghost Hunters or some crap like that. So they go and they spend half their mortgage payment on tools and things that light up that they don't understand. And then the next logical step after buying matching black t-shirts and posing like 90s rappers for their Facebook page is to of course have their own podcast. Well, you know what? You're not gonna find that crap here. What we have here at WBHM Digital Broadcasting is the best host, the best guest, bringing you real information. All of the hosts here on this network know their stuff. They are the people who have been out there doing the work, doing actual research. And no, by research, I don't mean binge-watching some kind of cheesy TV show on Netflix. I mean reading books. I mean out in the field doing the work. And who are they interviewing on their shows? They're bringing you the people they have learned from. They're bringing you the best in the field covering all kinds of topics from UFOs and aliens to Bigfoot to cryptozoology to ghosts to 
anything you can think of a bit strange and unexplained is here, and you're going to get the best information here. So stay tuned to WBHM Digital Broadcasting. Don't go anywhere. Speaking of going somewhere, I've got to go before my mic gets cut. We'll see you there on WBHM DB. Welcome back to Universal Truths. This is Mark Fultz, the Fat Psychic, coming to you from WBHMDB in beautiful downtown Birmingham, Alabama, and talking to you from my cute little tiny haunted house near Pensacola, Florida. And we are talking tonight about woman ghosts. And the first one I'm going to talk about, the reason I gave that long introduction about witches. This is um, going to be Bloody Mary, that there have been stories about Bloody Mary for a long time that are associated with Bloody Mary, and uh, there's, you know, different ideas of where it comes from, like Mary Worth, which we will carry that story here in a moment. Or Mary Queen of Scots, Bloody Mary, because she was a, a warrior basically, you know, and was brutal. Those uh, the leader women then had to be brutal, and she was very brutal. And uh, we will go into the story the way I see it: a Bloody Mary. Now, I will give you a little heads up on that. As well, uh, in my time, I've seen a lot of I love Halloween graphics, and there are a lot of 18 and 1900s uh, postcards of women holding candles, looking into mirrors. And if they looked into a mirror with a candle, they could see the face of their loved one they would marry later on in life. And if they took the candle and looked and they wouldn't marry, because it was a big deal to marry when you were in the 19th century, that was your purpose as a woman or a man is to marry and have children. And if you weren't going to be married and you were a spinster or you would die an unmarried woman, you might see the Grim Reaper or... If you were too captured by your own beauty, you might see the image of the devil. So on Halloween night was the night to take a candle and look into the mirror. Now, in metaphysics, there's something they would do that back in the 70s when I was young. They would, uh, you would have to see your past life. You would sit in front of a mirror with a candle and look. You would put the candle where the flame was just equal or level with your eyes. And you would look into the mirror in the dark. And if you stared into the mirror through the flame, you would see your face change. And some of those would be your past lives. Some of them would be other things. And your face would change to 
sometimes to even be inhuman, you know, or to be something else, you know, otherworldly. And there is a psychological, there have been studies of that, um, that it believes that the dim light produces fluctuation in the stability of the perceived definition of the face. So it's like face recognition. Your brain's trying, seeing it, but it's trying to align with whatever you're looking at. But in metaphysics, we know what it is. You're really, your your third eye, you're, when you're doing this, you're seeing with your third eye. Because you're looking in the mirror, but you're looking at the level through the third eye. And you can see and perceive other things, other spirits, other, other, but you'll see other spirits and things associated with you. And it is pretty, it can be very shaking, you know, to do. But we're fascinated with that little thing. And when I was young, people would do it. So now, when you take into consideration the story of Bloody Mary, now, I think there's a old 1700s poem or 18th century poem about the women, especially in Britain. It was very popular in Britain to look into the mirror, see who your husband was. <clears throat> and actually, there's a story I've covered before that I have somewhere from Utica in, um, here in the U.S., where there was a famous thing where a woman, there was a, a spring. You would go and look in the spring or the well with a candle. And if you saw the face of the man you loved, that's who you marry. And a man was jealous that this his girlfriend would see someone else. So he followed her. And when she saw, he saw her looking into the water and saw her look happy stand up and be happy that she had seen the face. He was so jealous that he thought it would be someone else. He killed her. He hit her with a shovel. And so from then on, people would see her ghost on Halloween night. Now, Bloody Mary, probably the stories come from the 1700s, I believe. Uh, but it it has different stories, but the one I think here in the the West, you know, is that um, Bloody Mary was Mary Worth, and that Mary Worth was a very pretty girl, but due to an accident, she was disfigured, and when she was disfigured, uh, the village she lived in began to shun her, and she had been a great beauty. And so she became kind of a character, and she became more secluded because people thought she was a freak, and they wouldn't deal with her. And so she became, they believed, a witch. And she would make oils and tinctures and and herbs to sell to people to help them heal themselves or to find love or any of these kind of things. And so they knew her kind of as a witch. 
and or witchy type. Now, as she would sell things to people, there was one year that young girls began to disappear. And this is the legend. And they would uh, disappear, but Mary began to look prettier, younger. She began to lose some of that damage on her face. And uh, they began to wonder where the girls were disappearing to. They could not find them. They would look for them. No luck. And they began to suspect Mary. And actually, there was the Milner. His wife had a bad tooth. So she was using medicine that Mary Worth had given her for her tooth. And they were at home. It was evening. And back then, you know, 6 o'clock, everybody would be going to bed almost. And her daughter kept hearing a strange noise and, and that they could not hear. And she was following it. She couldn't resist it. And so the mother uh, hollered for the father and said, you know, help me. You know, and they followed the daughter and they sent people to they couldn't get her to look away from where this this sound was drawing her and they followed her through the woods and and they sent for help with it sent some of their other children to get help and people started coming with pitchforks you know they wanted to find out where the their children were going and they followed the young girl and saw ahead of them they saw mary worth standing in the woods with this unnatural light around her and a, a staff in her hand uh, like a wand. And she was uh, making a noise and the girl was coming towards her. So they figured that Mary Worth had bewitched their daughter. And so the the townspeople began to run towards her. And when she saw them, she ran into the woods. And they shot her in the hip. So she couldn't get away. And they got a hold of her. And they were torturing her with hitting her and, and uh, stabbing her with, you know, hit, you know, poking her with pitchforks. And they dragged her to a, a place and... and uh, to a tree, and they burned her as a witch. And when they went to her house after they had destroyed her body, they found the graves of the missing girls. And what they assumed was that something that was popular then, like with Elizabeth Bathory, was that she was killing the young girls and using their blood to make herself beautiful again. And they also believed, because there was an ornate mirror from Mary's youth, that Mary would sit and stare at herself in. And they believed that Mary was using the mirror to use witch glamour to bring herself back to beauty 
and she would rub the blood upon her and make herself beautiful again. So they believed that her essence was in the mirror. And they said that when she was dying, she put a curse upon the people there and said, your children, when they look into the mirror, if they speak my name, I will come and have my vengeance. And so from that, then it became a children's dare to look into the mirror by yourself and say Bloody Mary three times. And it is believed that the spirit can come and you will see her or that she could come and be the blood, the the Grim Reaper and kill you or disfigure you or uh, that or come to terrorize your life. So even though it sounds like a very scary game, people have done that over the centuries. Uh, of looking to mirrors and scaring themselves or seeing the um, illusion that can happen with the candle or to see the transformation of your face being superimposed with figures because in channeling, our spirits will channel and will superimpose over our bodies. So I believe it's a mechanism of channeling that when you're seeing it, you will see the faces within you. But if you call upon Bloody Mary, you may get more than you bargained for. Now, in modern times, we have taken that story and we have done it in movies. We have used Candyman. And it's the same premise, except in this case, it is a male figure who comes to take his his vengeance upon the way he died. And if you dare call him, you get the wrath of the creature within the mirror and mirrors are known to capture souls and be portals and people who spent a lot of time looking in the mirror their spirits will sometimes see themselves in the mirrors and can that way that is the way they know they still exist they can see themselves in the mirror and so they can exist within the mirror to uh, continue to be an image, a memory, an echo. But then there are some that don't like to see the mirror, don't like to see what they really look like, because some spirits are not what they're projecting what they want to see. They project what they really look like. And if they're discarnate, they may look like a dead body. They may look like the deteriorating version of their former self. So some spirits 
don't wish to see themselves or they do wish to take vengeance upon those who live amongst the living who can see themselves and see their image and still have the flesh to caress. Now, the next one that we're going to get into is, uh, and that was Mary Worth, who was Bloody Mary. Now, I'm going to tell you some of um, my favorite ones from Chattanooga, Tennessee, which was the Lady of the Lake. There is a place called Greenwood Cemetery. And in the latter part of the 1800s, it was a quarry. And they began to fill it in. And one part of the quarry across the road from where they filled it in to make a cemetery, the quarry part filled up with water. And so they left a lake that belongs on private property. And they began the cemetery. Well, during the late 1800s up into the early 1900s, people would see the the white milky form of a woman appear out of the fog and she would glide across the pond and come towards you. And uh, so people would gather at the cemetery and watch across the street and watch for the spirit to appear. And my grandfather, who had been a construction worker, said during the construction of the cemetery, when the, the, there was a bulldozer that was too close to the edge of the part that was filling in with water, and it fell off with a man on it, and they never found it. It was such a deep quarry. Many people died in the summer because there wasn't very many places for people to swim, so they would come and swim in this pond that used to be a quarry. And there were people who would drown every year. And there were a few of them that survived that said they could feel hands grabbing their ankles and pulling them beneath the surface of the water. And through the 30s and 40s, there were many, many people who died swimming in that lake. But now... I think the last viewings were in the 80s. There was a one in the 60s, like 63, where uh, a young man named uh, Trent, I believe, um, who was from Hickson High, who was a football player, and they went out there as a dare to watch for the lady in the lake. And she appeared, and he became frightened and hid behind this sign of the Greenwood Cemetery, and he lost his mind and had to go into a sanatorium for a year. So ghost stories and ghost huntings can be wonderful and exciting, but they can also be dangerous. Remember that anywhere you go, these are private properties, and now that property is on a it is not accessible. People are not allowed to go on it, but you can still see the lake. You can't be on the cemetery property at night 
but you can drive by and see where the ghost, the Lady of the Lake, resides in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Now, we have to go to a break, and when we come back, we will continue our stories of women ghosts. So all of you out there in the dark, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting, the best in paranormal talk, only on Paranormal Experience Radio, broadcasting live out of Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, come on. I'm Southern, but... Um, nope. That'll do. Hello, I am Kat Hobson, host of Paranormal Experience here on WBHN Digital Broadcasting out of Birmingham, Alabama. I enjoy having guests from all areas of the paranormal, from ghosts to ufology to cryptids and beyond. You'll find some of the best researchers in their fields bringing you some great information. Join me on Wednesday nights from 8 to 10 p. Eastern here on WBHM Digital Broadcasting. Since 1948, Fate Magazine has brought you reports of the strange and unknown, all of them true. Fate Radio is carrying on that tradition, bringing you the unusual, macabre, strange, and bizarre. Join host Cat Hobson Sunday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on WBHM Digital Broadcasting. Listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting, the best in paranormal talk, only on Paranormal Experienced Radio, broadcasting live out of Birmingham, Alabama. Welcome back to Universal Truths. This is Mark Fultz, the Fat Psychic. Talking to you from WBHM TV in beautiful downtown Birmingham, Alabama. And talking to you from my cute little tiny haunted house near Pittsburgh, Florida. And tonight I'm talking women ghosts. Now, excuse me. I will continue on a few stories from Chattanooga. The lady in the lake, one of the other stories of her is that um, a man who lived near there who he had a wife that became disabled and he pushed around on her wheelchair and he became determined to kill her to free himself and uh, of taking care of her and uh, that he pushed her into the lake and she drowned and that's the lady of the lake. Now, and people say when this when the fog or the mist touches the ground around the lake that you can see wheelchair markings or trails uh but also it's right up against the cemetery, so it would be a funnel 
for the energy of the spirits to come up through that water. So, and there have been many deaths there. So it would be responsible uh, for many hauntings, I think. And again, once I, when I tell you about places that are public or pub, or private, you know, I'm not giving you permission to go on their property. So, so you can drive by and see this on a road, but don't 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 bother the people who own it because uh, they're not interested. Uh, but near there, from Greenwood Cemetery, there I think it's Royal Cox Tunnel. And uh, there used to be a woman in the 30s who would um, wander through there, and, and they'd see her going through the tunnel, going towards the cemetery. And then she would, uh, so she would disappear into the Greenwood Cemetery. There was another cemetery in Red Bank that we called the Duck Pond. Uh, but in the 60s, there, there were quite a few accidents around there, besides ghost stories there have been things that have happened that um true accidents uh but in 63 there were some young people teenagers who were out partying you know it was very close to um prom time so they were out running around uh at two in the morning which is shocking for the 60s uh, at that time in the early 60s. It was before all the hippie things where everybody was out running around. Kids were not usually doing that. Uh, but they were out running around, drinking, driving, and they ran into a tree in front of the cemetery, and it killed a girl named Vida, Vida Lee. And she, for the next few weeks, they buried her in her prom dress. So... For weeks after that, people going into the cemetery, near the cemetery, they would say a girl in a prom dress would run out to stop them, trying to get a ride to go home. And then after a while, she realized she was home. Now, we're going to talk about what that's a wandering spirit. So the story of wandering women, we won't, uh, there is um, a story called Resurrection Mary that uh, people would um, know of in Chicago. And it became very famous. So when it happened in Chicago, what would happen with urban legends is you get versions of that story but in your hometown. So there were different stories of, of Resurrection Mary. <clears throat> and there's one of a guy going dancing and picking up a beautiful girl. And when he's taking her home, it's cold, so he puts a sweater on her around her shoulders, and she gets out to go to her home, and uh, she waves at him, and she still has the sweater, and he'll come back the next day to pick it up, he tells her. And so the next day, he comes to pick it up, and uh, Note goes to the door and knocks, and the mother 
answers the door and says, oh, she's been dead seven years. And he runs to the cemetery where the mother tells her where he's buried because he doesn't believe that. And there on the grave is his sweater folded up neatly. And that story, there were versions of that over every little town in America. And the next story was inspired from the 30s um, and continues pretty well into the modern era, which is um, men driving along Archer Avenue in Chicago. Uh, In the 30s, there was the Willowbrook Ballroom and Resurrection Cemetery. And they would see this beautiful girl walking along the street and they would pick her up. And um, she'd be in a beautiful white party dress and white shoes and have uh, light blonde hair, blue eyes, very beautiful. And she would be wearing a very thin shawl and she would have a little clutch purse and she'd be very quiet. And uh, when men would go by, when they would be driving her past the cemetery uh, on Archer Road, she would disappear out of their car. And there was a man that in 39 named uh, Jerry Paulus, uh, he went to another dance hall and uh, that he danced and they kissed and he asked her to drive, she asked him to drive her home on Archer Avenue and she got him to stop right in front of Resurrection Cemetery and got out and disappeared in front of it. And in the 70s, uh, and I remember when it happened, I remember seeing a picture in an article in the paper where someone saw her, this beautiful woman, in the cemetery holding on to the bars of the gates. And so a guy thought a woman was trapped in the cemetery, called the police, and when they got there, the bars were bent and had the fingerprints of a little little hands uh, embedded into the bars. And uh, but up and into the 70s, people... Um, there was a nightclub on Ciro Avenue, uh, on Chicago South West Side. And, uh, there was a taxi driver who came in to ask about a lady who got out without paying her fare. And people would see her, you know, I mean, the taxi drivers got to where they wouldn't pick anyone up <laughs> along that stretch. And, um... And she would do things like, you know, uh, disappear or just get out and just disappear. Uh, Or she would say, look, you know, right here, right here. And um, there was one in 1979, um, a cab driver named Ralph, who said that the girl was beautiful, a beautiful blonde. She was young like his daughter, 21 tops. And uh, he picked her up near a shopping mall on Archer Avenue. 
And he said a couple of miles up Archer, she jumped up and started uh, going here, here. And he hit the brakes, and there he looked around and didn't see uh, anything. And then when he turned around uh, to ask her, he said, where? And she says, she points her arm across the road and said, from the cemetery and says, there. And then uh, when he looked, it was a little shack. And when he turned back, she had vanished. And the door had never opened. She just vanished out of the car. And they said that he was not the type that was imaginative or anything. He was just a regular working guy. And uh, they believed his explanation. And, you know, he had picked up the ghost. And some people believe that her name is Mary, that Mary Bergovi, who died in 1934, but she was killed in an automobile accident in the downtown Chicago Loop. Um, and a author, uh, Ursula Baslicki, uh, in the 90s, believes that the ghost is Anna Margia Norcus, who died in a 1927 auto accident while on her way home from the O. Henry Ballroom. So every town after that kind of story had their resurrection Mary. There's always a woman in white. They can be modern. They can be antique. Uh, here in Pensacola, we have Sarah Wharton dressed in white who walk, wanders downtown with, uh, with her head missing because a pirate tried to kidnap her and her father and hold her for ransom, and they killed her father. And the pirate was trying to drag her away, and she gouged one of his eyes out with one of her rings, and he cut her head off with his sword. And now she wanders downtown and haunts St. Michael's Cemetery, and she's seen um, even around Seville Quarter, I believe. So, and some people blame her for some of the activity there, which I I think there's plenty of other ghosts that cause uh, difficulties uh, at Seville Quarter. But she was uh, a young beauty as well. And most ghost stories are women of beauty and youth and the candle that has been snuffed out before its time. Uh, just like Marilyn Monroe, we we they have so much promise in future. We can't imagine that that life force has been stopped, so that it must move forward and continue on, and that somehow it reaches beyond the veil, beyond the grave, to continue living, to be, to continue to reach out to those who can see them to begin the process of trying to uh, make themselves known or 
knowing not what else to do. And there are some spirits who just enjoy haunting and entertaining us as people and entertaining themselves. And then there are those who feast upon the energy created in haunting. And those are the ones we must watch for. They are not always harmful, but they like to scare. And it gives them an existence. And it's an exchange we give them and the relationship we have with them that sustains their earthly bond. And instead of going on, they exist amongst us. And think of the millions of souls that have come and gone, trillions, trillions of souls that have passed this way. So we're just seeing a few, a few of the flowers left behind the perennial growth, the perennial haunting of lost flowers and lost youth. Now we must go to a break. So all of you out there in the dark, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Getting bogged down by how much new music there is out there? There's a lot. Consider a daily dose of the All Songs Considered podcast. It's the easiest way to get tuned into the music world. We spend hours combing through the new music universe, from emerging bands to time-tested icons, to bring you your next favorite artist. To get up on your music know-how, listen to All Songs Considered from NPR. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Windsor Johnston. President Biden will address the ongoing conflict between Israel and Hamas and the war in Ukraine during a primetime speech tonight. NPR's Domenico Montanaro reports that Biden is facing lots of risk and little reward in how he handles these international crises. Biden has taken a strongly pro-Israel stance, and he has two audiences this evening, Congress and the American people more broadly. He's looking to procure funding for both conflicts, and he wants to rally voters to unify in supporting Israel. But Biden faces complications on both ends. Republicans in Congress have still been unable to pick a speaker, and with Congress hamstrung, it can't provide funding for anything, including Biden's foreign policy priorities. And some in Biden's base, younger voters in particular, want to hear a more nuanced approach that gives more consideration to Palestinian civilians in Gaza. It's a fine needle Biden will have to try and thread. Domenico Montanaro, NPR News, Washington. Ohio Republican Jim Jordan will seek a third round of balloting in his bid to become the next Speaker of the House. NPR's Susan Davis reports Republicans met behind closed doors for several hours today, trying to figure out a way forward. Initially, Jordan indicated that he would not seek a third ballot and instead back a resolution to expand the powers of Speaker pro tem Patrick McHenry. Under current House rules, McHenry can only preside over the election of a speaker, and no legislation can pass until that happens. But the proposal was met with fierce resistance, and so Jordan switched gears again. We decided that wasn't where we're going to go. I'm still running for speaker, and I plan to go to the floor. 
uh, and get the votes and win this race. It's unclear when the House will vote. Jordan says he first wants to speak with the 22 Republicans who opposed him on the second ballot. Susan Davis, NPR News, the Capitol. Federal officials have approved the expansion of a natural gas pipeline that runs from British Columbia through the Pacific Northwest. Jefferson Public Radio's Eric Newman has more. The Federal Energy Regulatory Commission is giving a green light to the operator TC Energy to install three new compressor stations along the pipeline to increase its capacity to transport gas. The plan has drawn criticism from environmental groups and elected officials in all three West Coast states. They say increasing long-term reliance on natural gas is at odds with states' climate goals and laws. The pipeline upgrades will boost capacity by roughly an additional 150 million cubic feet per day of methane gas. That's equal to adding 754,000 cars on the road each year, according to a statement from the Washington State Attorney General who opposes the project. Environmental groups in the Northwest say they plan to appeal. For NPR News, I'm Eric Newman. This is NPR News. Netflix announced that it added 9 million subscribers during its third quarter and will begin rolling out price hikes for ad-free viewing. As NPR's Mandalita Barco reports, the news comes after the streamer cut spending during the ongoing Hollywood strike. Co-CEO Ted Sarandos didn't say when the price hikes would begin, but he did talk about the ongoing Hollywood strike that stalled productions. He said resumed contract talks between studios and streamers and the performers union sag after it were going well until last week. But then at the very end of our last session together, the Guild presented this new demand that kind of on top of everything for a per subscriber levy unrelated to viewing or success. And this really broke our momentum, unfortunately. The Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers broke off negotiations indefinitely. Meanwhile, the sag after strike is nearing 100 days. Mandalit del Barco, NPR News. Tropical storm Tammy is gaining strength as it makes its way toward the Leeward Islands. The National Hurricane Center says the storm has maximum sustained wind speeds of 60 miles per hour. Forecasters say Tammy could threaten the northern Leeward Islands with gusty winds and tropical downpours starting tomorrow and lasting into the weekend. All of the major indices on Wall Street today closed lower. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was down 250 points at the close. The Nasdaq Composite also down 128. The S&P 500 fell 36 points. I'm Windsor Johnston, NPR News, Washington. Hey, it's Marielle Segarra from NPR's Life Kit podcast. I'm one of thousands of NPR network voices coming to you from over 200 local newsrooms across the country. We bring all Americans closer together through free and independent journalism on music, politics, culture, and so much more. The NPR network. What you hear changes everything. Learn more at npr.org network. Hey, it's Lori Lizarraga from Code Switch, the race and identity podcast from NPR. I'm one of thousands of NPR network voices at more than 200 local newsrooms across the country, working to bring people together through our free and independent journalism, music, and so much more. The NPR network, what you hear changes everything. Learn more at npr.org slash network. Welcome back to WBHM Digital Broadcasting out of Birmingham, Alabama. The time is five minutes after the hour.
Welcome back to Universal Truths with Mark Fultz, a fat socket, coming to you from WBM, excuse me, WBHM TV in beautiful downtown Birmingham, Alabama. And talking to you from my cute little tiny haunted house near Pensacola, Florida. And we are talking women ghosts tonight. And as I started talking, I have had a problem with coughing. So pardon me if you hear it tonight. But now we're going to talk about one of my favorite ghost stories. And that is the woman in black. Now, there have been two very good movies made of the woman in black. My favorite was one made for BBC in 1983 and unknown actors and stuff. And it was absolutely chilling. And they made a big movie version of The Woman in Black with Daniel Radcliffe from Harry Potter fame. And it was very good. But I think that the 1983 version captures the feel of a real ghost experience. And, uh, and some of our best ghost stories do come from London and England and Europe where everything is so old and there are houses that are in places that the 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 bogs and the uh uh the moors you know the water will rise at the tide and that you're trapped in the house until the water goes back down and anyone who um the the scene the movies, if you can, I think on YouTube they have the Woman in Black, the BBC version. Please watch it. Uh, my mother and I in the eighties loved it. I watched it. It scared the crap out of us at that time because there was one part where you really don't expect it, and the ghost just comes out screeching, and it just it was very effective. The movie ends very in a very uh, stark, frightening manner, which the the movie version, not trying to be a spoiler, the movie version has a softer ending, <clears throat> but the it's well worth watching the the atmosphere, the house, the location, and but the one from nineteen eighty three. The house is scary. The atmosphere is chilling. The woman actor who plays the woman in black, uh, she didn't need to be any special effects. She was the special effect. And I have had ghost experiences that bring the feeling that movie brings takes you there <laughs> is you know where you've got the oh lord you know i know what that is you know uh another movie that's really good it's not a black woman in black but you have to watch it called the changeling and uh with george c scott absolutely beautiful horror uh, it's a 
thriller, uh, a horror movie, and it's one of those from the era that used uh, – it was the first one, I think, that used the, the, the ball aspect that goes playing with the ball to let someone know they were there. And a very chilling movie, very chilling atmosphere. So yeah, before I leave tonight, I need to give you, I'll I'll give you a list of of movies you need to look up because it's that time. Sit on the couch and get warm and have some cocoa and have some popcorn and watch a good ghost story. Now, the woman in black. There are stories I have going way back into the 1800s from London and from England uh, area. You know, from uh, there's one, there's a uh, from the 1800s, 18th century. Uh, there's a small bridge that goes over the lake in St. James Park in central London. And there's been a headless woman that they see, she'll appear. And she walks towards the Blue Bridge, and she's known as the Red Lady. And she's dressed in red, a beautiful red dress and a cloak, but no head. And if you're walking behind her, you'll she'll disappear right before she gets on the bridge. And the story is in that 18th century, a soldier lured his wife to the park, murdered her, cut her head off, and dumped her into the lake. And unfortunately for him, he was apprehended and admitted his deed. So now, even though it's been centuries, she still wanders the sidewalks looking for her head. Now, I have a ghost story of the black, the woman in black, from 1938, the ghost of Durham. And what that one is, is very strange. In England, what the woman in black is, is usually they believed people who died suicides, uh, murdered or suicides, that they would become ghosts. And sometimes suicides, they would bury them at crossroads. That's where you get a lot of the, you know, the crossroads are haunted because suicides would be buried there because they couldn't be uh, consecrated because the religious, the Catholics and the Christians believed it's a bad death. So they wouldn't necessarily put them into their Christian cemetery. So if you, they would bury them at the crossroads. So instead of having pity on the person for committing suicide, they would punish them for committing suicide. And uh, there was this story uh, at Neville's Cross on Cradle Hill in um England, and there there was a minister, Mr. Lloyd, back in the 30s, and he, there was a place there near Neville's Cross 
that and it was a place that had been there had been a battle there and there was crosses there to mark it. And there were stories of if you went there at night you could you could hear the sounds of the battles. So he went there at night and um at the time of the year in the fall or that uh of the anniversary of the this war that had happened centuries before. And the weather was uh, very cold, and a, a very brittle wind was blowing from the north, and black clouds were scurrying across the sky. And as he stood there, excited to hear the sounds of this war, this phantom sounds that he thought were created through some kind of unknown science, that it was a phenomena. And he began to feel extremely alone and depressed and um he didn't know why so he was about to leave when a voice behind him said don't go away and he turned around and saw a young woman in a black dress you know that was pretty rough and she was holding a very pale baby in her arms, and she was about 22, 23 years old, but she was so pale and worn, you could tell she was ill and very, uh, had suffered quite a lot. And he was a minister, so he became very compassionate, and, and he talked, what brings you here at this hour? You know, he wondered why she was out here. And she says, I come here every night. I come to um, hear the sounds of the battle. And she told him what to do. She said, if you want to hear the sounds of the battle, which is what he was there for, she said, you go around that cross nine times. Then you put your, uh, you kneel down and you put your ear on the ground. And he says, uh, he started to laugh. You know, and she says, don't laugh. And the way that she was so strong about that, he felt like he needed to, he didn't want to upset her. He obeyed what she told him. And he went around the cross nine times, bent down. And as he began to listen to the earth, he could hear, um, the sounds of war. He could feel, hear screams of agony and, and he could hear arrows whizzing past his ears and, and, and uh, bullets whizzing as they passed him and uh, just blood curdling screams and sounds of war. He couldn't make out the words, but he could hear commands being spoken. And, and uh, when he was finished, he stood up and he said, uh, the woman said, are you satisfied? And he went, it is extraordinary. And um, and he said, I never would have credited it. He would never have believed it. And uh, the woman said, there are many things people don't credit, but nevertheless exist. Things belonging to a world about which you are present know nothing about. So one day you will, and that day is not far off. 
And as he looked at her, he began to remember the story of the woman in black. And he realized he was talking to her. And he was trying to figure out how to get out of this situation. And he looked at the cross and he looked back to talk to her and she had vanished with her child. So he was terrified and he ran to the town and they believed she was a prophecy of doom. And the fact that he had had a conversation with him, with the woman in black, had doomed him. And he'd never recovered. He caught a pneumonia from being out in the dark, in the cold, to listen to the sounds of battle. And within a few days, he died. And then he knew. He knew what the black ghost was telling him, the woman in black, the things that no one else at present knew, he would. And now he does. So now we have to go to a break, but we'll be right back. So all of you out there in the dark, don't touch that dial. We'll be back. Getting bogged down by how much new music there is out there? There's a lot. Consider a daily dose of the All Songs Considered podcast. It's the easiest way to get tuned into the music world. We spend hours combing through the new music universe, from emerging bands to time-tested icons, to bring you your next favorite artist. To get up on your music know-how, listen to All Songs Considered from NPR. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Windsor Johnston. President Biden will address the ongoing conflict between Israel and Hamas and the war in Ukraine during a primetime speech tonight. NPR's Domenico Montanaro reports that Biden is facing lots of risk and little reward in how he handles these international crises. Biden has taken a strongly pro-Israel stance, and he has two audiences this evening, Congress and the American people more broadly. He's looking to procure funding for both conflicts, and he wants to rally voters to unify in supporting Israel. But Biden faces complications on both ends. Republicans in Congress have still been unable to pick a speaker, and with Congress hamstrung, it can't provide funding for anything, including Biden's foreign policy priorities. And some in Biden's base, younger voters in particular, want to hear a more nuanced approach that gives more consideration to Palestinian civilians in Gaza. It's a fine needle Biden will have to try and thread. Domenico Montanaro, NPR News, Washington. Ohio Republican Jim Jordan will seek a third round of balloting in his bid to become the next Speaker of the House. NPR's Susan Davis reports Republicans met behind closed doors for several hours today, trying to figure out a way forward. Initially, Jordan indicated that he would not seek a third ballot and instead back a resolution to expand the powers of Speaker pro tem Patrick McHenry. Under current House rules, McHenry can only preside over the election of a speaker, and no legislation can pass until that happens. But the proposal was met with fierce resistance, and so Jordan switched gears again. We decided that wasn't where we're going to go. I'm still running for speaker, and I plan to go to the floor. 
uh, and get the votes and win this race. It's unclear when the House will vote. Jordan says he first wants to speak with the 22 Republicans who opposed him on the second ballot. Susan Davis, NPR News, the Capitol. Federal officials have approved the expansion of a natural gas pipeline that runs from British Columbia through the Pacific Northwest. Jefferson Public Radio's Eric Newman has more. The Federal Energy Regulatory Commission is giving a green light to the operator TC Energy to install three new compressor stations along the pipeline to increase its capacity to transport gas. The plan has drawn criticism from environmental groups and elected officials in all three West Coast states. They say increasing long-term reliance on natural gas is at odds with states' climate goals and laws. The pipeline upgrades will boost capacity by roughly an additional 150 million cubic feet per day of methane gas. That's equal to adding 754,000 cars on the road each year, according to a statement from the Washington State Attorney General who opposes the project. Environmental groups in the Northwest say they plan to appeal. For NPR News, I'm Eric Newman. This is NPR News. Netflix announced that it added 9 million subscribers during its third quarter and will begin rolling out price hikes for ad-free viewing. As NPR's Mandalit Del Barco reports, the news comes after the streamer cut spending during the ongoing Hollywood strike. Co-CEO Ted Sarandos didn't say when the price hikes would begin, but he did talk about the ongoing Hollywood strike that stalled productions. He said resumed contract talks between studios and streamers and the performers union sag after it were going well until last week. But then at the very end of our last session together, the Guild presented this new demand that kind of on top of everything for a per subscriber levy, unrelated to viewing or success. And this really broke our momentum, unfortunately. The Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers broke off negotiations indefinitely. Meanwhile, the sag after strike is nearing 100 days. Mandalit Del Barco, NPR News. Tropical storm Tammy is gaining strength as it makes its way toward the Leeward Islands. The National Hurricane Center says the storm has maximum sustained wind speeds of 60 miles per hour. Forecasters say Tammy could threaten the northern Leeward Islands with gusty winds and tropical downpours starting tomorrow and lasting into the weekend. All of the major indices on Wall Street today closed lower. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was down 250 points at the close. The Nasdaq Composite also down 128. The S&P 500 fell 36 points. I'm Windsor Johnston, NPR News, Washington. Hey, it's Marielle Segarra from NPR's Life Kit podcast. I'm one of thousands of NPR network voices coming to you from over 200 local newsrooms across the country. We bring all Americans closer together through free and independent journalism on music, politics, culture, and so much more. The NPR network. What you hear changes everything. Learn more at npr.org slash network. Hey, it's Lori Lizarraga from Code Switch, the race and identity podcast from NPR. I'm one of thousands of NPR network voices at more than 200 local newsrooms across the country, working to bring people together through our free and independent journalism, music, and so much more. The NPR network, what you hear changes everything. Learn more at npr.org slash network. Welcome back to WBHM Digital Broadcasting out of Birmingham, Alabama. The time is five minutes after the hour. 
This is Mark Fultz coming back to you. This is Universal Truths coming to you from WBHMDB in beautiful downtown Birmingham, Alabama. And talking to you from my cute little tiny haunted house near Pensacola, Florida. And we are continuing our woman ghost stories. And when we went to the break, I was finishing up some of the woman in black stories. Now, there are many, 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 many women in black stories in history. Now, there, this is one that I liked that I found that was from probably the 1880s. And there, it's a um, near the place, uh, Durham, England, as well. Because the black, the woman in black was known there for many, many years, and there was a Mr. Harrison. This is still the time when people drove horses and carts and and um, carriages, and he was traveling toward Durham, and he came up on what is known at what at that time as Dead Man's Corner. Here we would call it Dead Man's Curve. We have one of us in Chattanooga that they straightened out because so many people would get killed. And as he went around Dead Man's Corner, there had been so many fatal accidents there uh, that, you know, he was, a little anxious because it was dark and here he was in the dark going around a haunted spot and uh, you know so his hackles were up and the mare the, the horse that uh, he had been driving for several miles uh, she was uh, calm until she passed the junction of four crossroads and about 40 or 50 feet feet further, the horse came to a stop, panting and shivering. Because ghosts sense, uh, horses sense ghosts. And uh, they won't go over a grave that's haunted. They won't go, uh, they'll stop. You're just out of luck or they'll run. And um, so she, the man was looking at the horse and trying to figure out what the problem was, and the horse took off. And as they were resting, he looked behind him and saw this dark figure and... It was a woman in black, and she was holding what looked like a pale dead baby, and she was keeping up with the running horse. And so he started laying into the horse and trying to go faster, trying to go faster, and she kept up with them for quite a time. And once they got past the dead man's curve 
and they saw the signs for Duran. He looked back. The horse calmed down and stopped. So when the horse stopped, he looked back and could see the woman was stuck, had stopped at the uh, crossroads where the sign was going to Durham, and she was pointing that way, and suddenly she disappeared. So he had experienced the woman in black trying to uh, uh, influence his ride. But anyone who would see the woman in black would come to tragedy. So apparently, uh, not long after that, this gentleman as well met his demise. Uh, besides the woman in black, there's also the women in white. There's an excellent movie called The Woman in White. You must watch it. It's... Uh, an extraordinary movie, actually. It's from the 80s. And uh, a be it's actually lovely in a way. I mean, even though it's it's charming, it takes you back as a, as a baby boomer. It takes you back to the way it was in the 60s and 50s, uh, the way that Halloween was and the fall was and the feeling of it. But it's also a ghost story, a horror story, a murder story, and a thriller. And if you get to watch it, watch it. It is uh, called The Woman in White. And there are a few familiar faces in it. But the characters are so wonderful that you fall in love with the time and the place. Uh, but there are women in white stories. Here we have Sarah Wharton, who wanders the streets dressed in a white gown. There was a story in Chattanooga. There was a um, place on, on Cherry Street, 4th and Cherry, that during the Civil War, the house became, had always been known as haunted. But during the war, a bomb went through it, killed a little little boy, a little four-year-old boy. Uh, the uh, after that, after the war, uh, in the 1870s, 1880s, a bachelor moved in there with his uh, bachelor sister, spinster sister, and for whatever reason, the man, the brother, killed himself, shot himself with a shotgun, but the sister remained in the house, continued living after he died. And uh, one night, back in this 1870s, you wore more to bed than you wear, than any of you wear to the prom, you know, nowadays. But she had on a, they had trains and things on everything. And she had a, a night dress that had a train on it. And she was very pious. She would sit and read her Bible. And one night, she was sitting there with an oil lamp on the little table reading her Bible. When she was finished, she got up, and the train had caught on the leg of the table. And it spilled the oil lamp over. It exploded and set her on fire. And so people – she burnt it out. People would see her ghost trying to bang on the windows to get out of the burning house. 
and um, someone was able to come to her, you know, but the house didn't burn, but she did. And for decades after that, people would sit across in an empty lot and look at the house and watch for her ghost. And it would come banging on the windows trying to get out the woman in white. Um, there was a woman in white who walked the tunnels. There's a woman in white who walks around um, downtown Chattanooga. There's the, uh, at the, uh, there was a chapel that was haunted by a woman that they said had killed herself uh, for being um, stood up at the altar. So um, there's the lady in the lake. There's who's white in a white gown. Uh, there's all sorts of stories around the country about them. So they're not always dressed in, in black garments. Now, the next story I'm going to tell you is one of my favorites. It's from California from uh, 1937. And this woman it was a young housewife, and um, her and her husband's last name was Barr. And uh, they were, um, the reason her ghost story came out, uh, she was Consuela Barr, 23, and she had a baby, and she had her husband, and they lived in an apartment that was apparently fairly haunted. And the reason they found this story out is they found her. She was laying out in the yard. She had fallen from up above uh, 25 feet and had broken her arm and was unconscious. And when she was at the surgeons at the hospital, she told them uh, that they had been haunted. And this was the result of a ghost. And her husband, Felix, was the butcher, and uh, she said this ghost would creep up and ring the doorbell, and they would go check, and nobody would be there. There was always, they'd hear footsteps in their apartment and going down the hallway. Uh, they would never be able to catch it. And uh, then the day before, what had happened is she was out on the fire escape to bring in her baby clothes that were hanging out because uh, they didn't have, back then, they didn't have at-home dryers. You know, you had to um, hang them up or send them out to a laundress. And she was picking up the clothes, and she felt a cold breath upon her neck. And when she turned around... There was this ghost, this woman's ghost, and she said its eyes were like green fire, and it was staring at her, and, and she, all she remembered was screaming and passing out, and she had fallen 25 feet off of the railing to, uh, to the ground, and uh, the police in the uh, uh, 
paper were trying to poo-poo it, but she was uh, fairly uh, conscious and smart and intelligent, so uh, they left it up to everyone else uh, to make their decision, but they felt like someone had pulled a prank on her. But she was determined. It was a ghost. It had made her fall. And uh, that was – it's an odd story, but I like it. Um, some of the stories that um, – like that, you know, I've lived in places where um, – I've told the story of Gertrude many times, I think, here. Where, you know, she, the ghost would come and stand at the foot of my bed. And my aunt named it like a pet. You know, it was a poltergeist experience. It was a fetch experience because it had been a house where people had done ritual and left the ritual, left the circle going. And they just talked about it like it was a funny incident. Because she was a poltergeist-type activity, but there was something darker with it. And so at night, you know, where I was in Go Central upstairs, uh, when I worked for them, she would um, – this woman would materialize. The corner would get dark where she was going to come from, and then you would just see her come out of the darkness. And she would be wearing this beige dress and this very dowdy-looking 60s, 70s beige dress. And she had this long black hair and a long braid over her right shoulder. And she would just come and stand by your bed. You couldn't see her face. Her face was smudged out. And she would just wait. And if you told her to go away, she'd go away. And she'd come back in a few days. And if my aunt ever wanted to move or talked about moving, you'd hear crying in the walls. And and um, the paranormal, the um, poltergeist activity would start. You know, the if she got upset that they were going to leave, uh, she would unplug the microwave, the washing machine, the the dishwasher. You know, everything would get crazy. You'd see people standing there that weren't there. You would have people, there were shadow figures in this house, so there would be shadow figures going everywhere. And the more upset she would get, the more activity would happen with the shadow figures. So anytime they wanted to leave, they would just, it would go crazy. And one time when she had moved out, intending on selling the house, which never got to happen, uh, every time she tried to sell it, it would always fall through. But one time in the 80s, she was trying to sell it, and I knew a junk seller who wanted to come and look at some of the things she had. And there was um, a door in the house that had you would put a stick in to keep it closed, <clears throat> which was something we did in the 60s and 70s. You know, before they really came up with good doors, with good locks, I guess. But you would put a stick in the door, you know, keep the sliding door from opening. And the other doors were, you you had to use a lock and key 
and uh, she had had the door, the sliding door did not, and I used to be there a lot. Uh, they wouldn't put the stick in it unless they were there at night. So the stick wasn't leaning up or anything like that, but it usually was put to the side so it wouldn't fall over and to the door. And uh, we went there and it didn't want the junk dealer coming in. So we came in and the doors were all locked from the inside. They hadn't been in the house in about a month. And the stick was in the door. Nobody could get in. And me and her were sitting there. She was laughing nervously. And we couldn't tell him he was too scared of ghosts. He would have been freaked out. So we were laughing, but he didn't get to get in and see it. So, um, uh, and she never got to really leave that house. They had to let it go back to the bank. And within a few months, she died from cancer. Uh, that she didn't know she had until a TV, she was going past the TV and uh, it fell over on her and then she had to go to the hospital and then they found out she had lung cancer and she died. So she didn't get very far away from Gertrude. So now we must go to another break and we'll be right back. So all of you out there in the dark, don't touch that dial. You are listening to WPHM Digital Broadcasting. The best in paranormal talk radio. Come on, I'm Southern, but... Um, nope. That'll do. Hello, I am Kat Hobson, host of Paranormal Experience here on WBHN Digital Broadcasting out of Birmingham, Alabama. I enjoy having guests from all areas of the paranormal, from ghosts to ufology to cryptids and beyond. You'll find some of the best researchers in their fields bringing you some great information. Join me on Wednesday nights from 8 to 10 p. Eastern here on WBHM Digital Broadcasting. This is Jason Bland, host of Midwest Paranormal Presents Paranormal Soup, where we stream live as a webcast every Sunday night, 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern, with guests who will blow your mind. Live ghost box sessions where you can call into the show to see if the spirits will talk to you. And the World Wide Web of Weird, with the latest in paranormal news and evidence. We're bringing the weird every Sunday night, 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern, on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Don't forget to follow and subscribe. Listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting, the best in paranormal talk, only on Paranormal Experience Radio, broadcasting live out of Birmingham, Alabama. Since 1948, Fate Magazine has brought you reports of the strange and unknown, all of them true. Fate Radio is carrying on that tradition. 
bringing you the unusual, macabre, strange, and bizarre. Join host Cat Hops Sunday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on WBHM Digital Broadcasting. Listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting, Birmingham, Alabama. Thank you for listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting out of Birmingham, Alabama. The time is 23 minutes after the hour. Welcome back to Universal Truths with Mark Fultz, the fat psychic, coming to you from WBHMDB in beautiful downtown Birmingham, Alabama, and talking to you from my cute little tiny haunted house near Pensacola, Florida. And tonight, of course, we're in the last part of the show, and and uh, I hope that you've enjoyed your your women ghosts. I, I like these kind of stories, and and um, I like to bring a little different thing. You know, the thing that makes some of my stories different is that I am an investigator. I am a psychic, so I get to sometimes experience the the ghosts themselves, or the phenomena associated with the ghost. So it's, uh, and I like to bring those stories to you as well. And I think I'm about to begin getting into uh, ghost hunting again and uh, bringing you more ghost stories because this uh, Saturday I'll be helping to do a um, ghost tour at a haunted cemetery in Pensacola. Uh, Christine, uh, uh, I have to think of her last name. What a talk. I think uh, has contacted me. I did readings for her at the other place I worked at and um, had told her some things that only she knew. And from her other tours. And I always had wanted to kind of do something down here yet that I hadn't had a chance. So she called and invited me to come on this ghost tour. So um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, It is a, um, I'm going to get to it so I can tell you. um, Christine McIntyre. And she has a ghost tour that she does pretty regularly in um, Pensacola in October. And I think it would be fascinating. But she has offered for me to come and be a part of this uh, ghost tour that they're doing, this ghost walk. And it's called Cemetery Tour, Special Halloween Edition. And if you want to come see Christine, and there's a ghost investigator coming with her, and a well-known investigator. And um, she calls her, uh, 
Christine calls herself Madame Maori. And I will, of course, be there looking and doing ghost uh, investigations and telling you what ghosts I see or what's there. And, and I have been in that cemetery. Actually, I want to go there to take pictures because there's this incredible gargoyle monument there, I believe. So that tour, if you're interested in looking it up and you're in Pensacola, um, her phone number is 330-503-7345. Ask for Christine. The dates are going to be 10-21 this Saturday, 10-25, 10-30, and Halloween, 10-31. And the first three are being done at 8 p.m., and on Halloween, it will begin at 7.30. And I will be there while they give the cemetery tour, and I will give conversations with the dead spirits that I see. And uh, I think it will be quite interesting and exciting. Um, they have quite a few tales from down there. So, uh, and I believe she has a tour. This is going to be, um, she is a tour guide with Pensacola's Historical Trust and Emerald Coast Tours. So she is um, very sweet, very interesting, and I think this ghost tour is going to be fun. So if you get a chance, uh, look it up. And you can look it up on my Facebook, Mark Elliott, B-L-L-I-O-T-T, uh, Fultz, F-U-L-T-S. Facebook. If you look up Mark Elliott Fultz, look up my Facebook and you'll see the posting on there for the ghost tour. I'm going tomorrow evening to do a dress rehearsal with them. And then Saturday it's on, like Donkey Kong. So if you want to come, I think it's 25 per person and uh, you can text your name and date uh, to 330 503-7345 and see if there's enough room for you to squeeze in there. And uh, I'm going to have fun. I just, I'm going to dress up and go in garb that I, my 1800s type stuff. And I'm going to go kick up some dust. And uh, I just think it's going to be fun. And uh, I'm having too much fun. I think I'm having a lot of fun. I've got my little store going. I've got uh, I have had some interesting shows, and people have come up to me to be on their shows. So um, it, this has been a very interesting Halloween season. Uh, and then in the future, I will be developing a Pensacola ghost tour of myself. So I may be um, uh, calling on Christine and them and see what you know we can do or put together. Um, It'll be fun. So if you want to have some of that kind of fun, that's what we got going on. But you have to call Christine and make sure there's room for you to get in because I don't know how many they're allowing in because it is a, it's not a very big cemetery, but it's packed full of stories, I'm sure. And uh, like I said, I'll be talking to the dead folk that all they are. So we'll see what happens. So, um, I hope that everybody uh, in this 
Halloween season. It's a good time to just curl up and watch good movies. So I want to tell you the movies I watch every Halloween season. I love to watch. There's a movie called Trick or Treat. It's a trick or treat, you know, in between it. It's uh, pretty modern, but it's a hoot. It's twisted and sick and funny and scary. And I love it. So it's one of my new favorites. I watch Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. It's so bad, it's good. So it's from the 70s. Really was made like I think it's 69 or something. But I remember as a child, you know, they're going, my friends went and saw it and said, it's so scary. And I watched it as an adult. I thought, oh, my Lord. You know, they it was the first color bloody zombie movie after Night of the Living Dead, I believe. It was from that period. And uh, it's a hoot. But if you watch till the end, it turns creepy. There is some scary stuff. Now, my favorite ghost movies, um, The Uninvited with Ray Milland and Gail Russell and Ruth Hussey, one of the best uh, ghost stories ever put on film. And it's so creepy because when I was a little kid, you know, you it's this beautiful house that this uh, brother and sister buy and move into, and it's very haunted. And there's a very scary ghost in it. And uh, you would hear the crying in the dark, you know, and it was great. It's a great movie. And The Haunting with Julie Harris and uh, Russ Tamblin and uh, Claire Bloom. It's it, it, excellent, scary Halloween movie. Uh, the Changeling. Uh, that one has uh, a psychic in it that does an accurate the way that an accurate uh, real practitioner from our from my era and her era would have done channeling and would have done automatic writing. And uh, besides the fact that that movie is scary as hell, great atmospheric, spooky movie. Watch The Woman in Black with Daniel Radcliffe. Watch The Woman in Black from 1983. I think they have it on YouTube somewhere. And one of my favorite ones from when, of course, you know, I was a little kid, but I loved Barbara Stanwyck. And she had just finished doing uh, The Big Valley, which I watched religiously as a child. And she was a big Hollywood star at the time, you know, and a movie system, had, the movie studios had broke it down. And, and so the big stars were moving to TV. So she had done the big Valley, which was huge hit. And she did her first made for TV movie, which was called the house that would not die. And when I was eight, I loved it. I thought it was great. And it is a really good sit down watch movie. Cause it's very interesting. It's a, uh, very well acted. Uh, it was uh, made by Aaron Spelling, who made all you know one of his first uh, endeavors, I believe. But it was a big ratings hit for Barbara Stanwyck in 1970. I remember watching it, and then they played it twice. So in October, so I remember watching it twice. It's well worth watching. It's I like it. Uh, there's one that Steven Spielberg did. 
for TV, I believe. I believe it was Steven Spielberg, and it's called Something Evil. And it's like a haunted um, Pennsylvania Dutch area ghost story. And uh, it's really weird and strange. And, and there's, uh, I remember as a child, it scared the crap out of me because there was one part where she would hear this baby crying and she would look through the cabinets and look everything. Where was that sound coming from? And it would be these jars of stuff that'd be going, Mama. and you're, ah, um, it scared the crap out of me. And uh, so it's a good movie to curl up with just to watch. It may, for people who are jaded, it may not be your taste, but I love it. Um, and there was one I watched, I think, a couple of years ago called, I think, The Terrified. Um, and it's like a Spanish horror movie. But there is a section in it where this dead kid is involved that is a mind messer. It was uh, very scary. And uh, so there are a lot of really good old Older and newer movies. There's, they're churning out uh, a lot of horror movies, like you know, like a, a, a Sausage Factory. But there are a lot of movies that are actually well worth going and looking at, and you need to go watch them. But go watch The Haunting, The Uninvited, The Changeling, and scare yourself into a popcorn coma. Well, my darlings. It is time to end the show for tonight. We will be back next Thursday. So thank you for coming and joining us and listening to us. And all of you out there in the dark, good night. Good night. some universal truths with psychic, metaphysician and author Mark Elliott Fultz on WBHMDB Radio coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama and sunny Florida.